Christmas to you. Hard to believe Christmas is just a couple of days away. Uh, I'm really, really glad you're here this morning. If you're a guest, I hope that you're having a VIP experience. I really mean that. I hope you found your way to some coffee with little festive flavorings and cookies and stuff. And I saw something I don't think I've ever seen before, but one of those little uh, flavors out there is green. And I thought it's it's like mouthwash. It looks like mouthwash to me. But then I thought, that's brilliant because your coffee and your mouthwash, you don't have to worry about coffee breath. It's all right there. You just gargle it all and... I don't know, somebody's next level thinking in there, but uh, hey, uh, before we dive in, uh, you know, you heard on the announcements a lot of great next step opportunities. I want to just share uh, one more with you. In your uh, worship folder, you've got this uh, little uh, pamphlet. It says adult class catalog. It's just a catalog of some things that are coming up and some really, really great stuff, but there's one I wanted to point out in particular. It's called The Art of marriage. That's coming up starting uh, not next Sunday, but the next, the beginning of January. If you're a married person, uh, great uh, tune-up. You know, one of the things about being married is it's kind of hard to sometimes have like the, the right conversations, the meaningful conversations, not just like, what do you want to eat for dinner? I don't know. What do you want to eat for dinner? You know, well, the art of marriage is, is one of those things. It's this environment where you get to have the right conversations and you're going to just uh, get some valuable stuff to work on your relationship, however healthy or not, it might be. So I wanted to draw your attention to that. Uh, and this morning, I'm just going to start. I'm just going to lay it all out there. This morning, we are going to talk about Jesus. Seems like a good idea for a Christmas sermon. And uh, one of the things about Jesus is he was very often misunderstood. Uh, I mean, even today, a lot of folks misunderstand Jesus. They're confused about who he is, who he, who he really is. And so I want us to talk about that a bit, because one of the interesting things about Jesus is he wants to be understood. He wants to be known. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. He wants to be known. He wants it so much that he presents himself clearly. The truth is in plain sight, just just waiting to be discovered by you and me. It makes me think about the story of Josh Bell. You may or may not know who Josh Bell is. He's a somewhat famous musician Uh, He's a violinist, a classical musician, and he's apparently quite talented. I don't know that much about uh, uh, classical music, but Josh Bell's very talented. He played Carnegie Hall when he was 17, so what have you done with your life, you know what I mean? But uh, after he became famous, he won all kinds of awards, all that kind of thing. He decided he was going to have some fun. And now, see, he plays the violin, but not just any old violin. The violin he has is, is amazing. It's a Stradivarius so uh, the fa- most famous maker of violins in history, his violin is 300 years old. It's a, it's a priceless work of art. But uh, several years ago, he decided to do a little experiment. And he had just played a concert in Boston where the tickets were like $100 each. Okay. Two days later, he goes into the subway tunnels in Washington, D.C. And if you've ever been to a big city with a subway like D.C. or New York or whatever, you know the, the subway tunnels are busy, just people going here and there and everywhere. And one of the things you see all the time are musicians, people who, um, you know, amateur musicians trying to earn a little bit of money, they'll set up in the corner, you know, and they're they're maybe not talented enough to get an actual concert, but they just want to make a little money or get a little attention. And so they'll, they'll put on a little impromptu concert and hope that people kind of throw change at them, right? Well, Josh Bell, with the help of the Washington Post, did a little experiment. He took his 300-year-old violin, he took his amazing talent, and he went into the subway, and he started playing just to see if anybody would notice. Well, of the more than 1,000 people who passed by, only seven stopped to listen to him. 
And only one person recognized him. So this, this guy who fills the world's greatest concert halls has recorded more than 40 albums. He was just ignored. He wasn't completely ignored. He did earn $32 from people who were walking by. Although $20 was from the one lady who recognized him. So, so this, this maestro of the violin, this amazing musician was just hiding in plain sight. A thousand people had access to a free concert and they completely missed it. He was in plain sight, but so many people missed him. It makes me think of the book craze from several years ago. Maybe you remember the Where's Waldo books. Uh, Where's Waldo, a series of illustrated books. Each page had a a different picture, kind of like this one here. Uh, A complex drawing, and somewhere on that page is Waldo, little character Waldo. He blends in because he's just another person in a sea full of people. And just so you're not distracted, so you can listen to me instead of trying to find Waldo, here he is, he's here, right there. I won't tell you how long it took me to find him, but, uh, but he's right there in plain sight. He, he's one person in a sea full of people, and, and just like Josh Bell, if we're not careful, we'll miss him. Well, Jesus is the same way. The truth about him is in plain sight, and this Christmas, I don't want any of us to miss it. This morning, we're wrapping up a series we call Light of the World. Over the past few Sundays, we've been celebrating the Christmas season by talking about the light of the world. And, and Christmas is a time that is full of light. You know, we light candles, we light up our houses, we even bring trees in from the outside and we light them up. The light is everywhere. In fact, I, I, read on the, or I heard on the radio that uh, it takes 2,683 lights on your house to be seen from space. So well, there's light everywhere, right? But there's only one light of the world. And spoiler alert, it's Jesus. He's the light of the world. In fact, he even says, I am the light of the world. He wants to be known. He, he's right there in plain sight. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is the light of the world, and he freely gives that light away. He says those who follow him will never walk in darkness. And as we've explored this idea of the light of the world throughout this month, we've done it primarily through one verse. And it's not the verse where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's a different verse. A verse that was written 600 years before Jesus spoke those words. We've been looking this month at this verse that comes from the Old Testament centuries before Jesus was born. But this verse points unmistakably to Jesus. Just like the musician Josh Bell or the image of Waldo right there in plain sight, so this verse is a a picture of Jesus in plain sight centuries before he was born. And the verse comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a, a prophet, a person called by God to speak God's messages in uncertain time, a particularly dark time, a time when God's people needed some light. And in fact, that's exactly how the passage starts. Take a look at this. Nevertheless, Isaiah says, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. So the people were in distress, but not any longer. They have no more gloom. A little bit further down, Isaiah says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So these are are helpful verses. The people walking in darkness now have seen a great light. And maybe you're a person walking in darkness. Maybe things in your life are hard. 
If you're honest with yourself, maybe that's how you describe your life. You're walking in darkness, just going through the motions. Maybe you don't see any light in your situation, no hope. Maybe you spend your time just trying to escape, numbing your mind with your your phone or your tablet or ending each day with Netflix so you don't have to face the darkness all around. I read an article not long ago about the mommy wine culture. Don't judge me. But maybe that's how you cope with the difficulty. Uh, Drink at the end of the day that becomes two or three, and before you know it, you're just numbing the pain and you don't feel like you can stop. Just walking in darkness, stumbling your way through life, feeling like you don't have to offer anything for anybody. Each day is just more of the same. Maybe you're one of the people walking in darkness, living in the land of the shadow of death. But Isaiah, who wrote these words, he says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah, he wrote originally in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for light, it literally means to bring order to something chaotic. In darkness, you know, we stumble around, we can't make sense of anything, but when there's light, suddenly we see things clearly. Things that were hidden from us are now in plain sight. So Isaiah says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And he says there's no more gloom. And at the time that Isaiah was writing, the whole country was in darkness. There was a good reason for them to feel gloom. Everything the people thought they knew about the world was turning upside down. And it looked like they were going to end up on the bottom. Maybe that's how you feel. Like stuff is just piling on in your life and you're at the bottom of a big heap. If that's how you feel, walking in darkness, you feel like the whole world's turning upside down, then this message is for you. It's a message of hope. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So what happened? Uh, What happened that would make them no longer walk in darkness? What happened to end the gloom? Just a few verses later, Isaiah tells us. Look at verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. So the answer to this problem, the the light that pierces the darkness, that that brings order out of the chaos, is a child. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, my kids tend to increase chaos, not make it better. So this must be some kind of special child, and he certainly is. But before we talk about this very special child, this child who's a light for a very dark time, we need to talk about something else that's really interesting here. There's a, there's a tension here in this passage. It's easy to miss, but I think it's very encouraging. The tension is this, okay? Isaiah tells these people living in darkness that there's no more darkness. There's no more gloom. So he's, he's speaking to them as if things have gotten better, as if he's saying, hey, we used to live in darkness, but it's all better now, past tense, right? But he tells them that the solution The light that brings order out of their chaos is something that's coming later. The solution is is future tense. A child will be born in the future. So see, the solution to their very real problems is a child who will be born in the future. We used to walk in darkness because a child will be born. And yet the way that God talks about this child, this, this extraordinary child who will be a cure for all the problems, the way that God talks about this child is as if he's already come. He's already helped. God is so sure of his solution that he's able to speak in past tense about the work this child will do in the future. Something about this child is really extraordinary. 
And the truth about him is in plain sight. So who is this child? Look again at the description. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now we learn who this child is. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's quite a name quite a way to describe this child. I mean, fortunately, he's got a nickname, so if you're trying to get his attention, you don't have to use all those titles, right? But this is an amazing child, a child who is light, the light of the world. And all children bring some light into the world, but this child is a great light, a light that brings hope and healing to people who walk in darkness, hope when it's needed the most. This child, this extraordinary child, is Jesus, the same child we're celebrating at Christmas. And over the course of this month, the past few Sundays, we've talked about the, the various names that are given to this child. We talked about what does it mean that this child is a wonderful counselor. We talked about the fact that this child, this human child, is also called Mighty God. This child who, who loves us like an everlasting father. And let's not skip over these titles too quickly. Everlasting father, Mighty God? Because there's some amazing truths about this child right there in plain sight. The reason that this child can bring light to people walking in darkness is that he's not just a child. He's something even more amazing. He's also mighty God. Right here, 600 years before Jesus was born, we learn something amazing about him. He's not just a child. He's not just human but he's also God. The truth about Jesus is here in plain sight. This child that we celebrate at Christmas is God himself. That's why we could say that he's already come. His future birth brings hope and healing to people in the past because he's everlasting father, everlasting, having no beginning and no end. That's why we can say that the people walking in darkness have already seen a great light because God's been with them all along. He's in plain sight. And the same is true for us. God is with us in plain sight if we have eyes to see him. Like Waldo or like Josh Bell, he's been there the whole time. So that even the birth of a child 2,000 years ago can help us not to walk in darkness today. We can have light and hope because of this baby who was born. And as I said, we spent the past few Sundays talking about these first three names given to Jesus in this verse. I'm not going to take time to rehearse all that. But this morning, I want to spend time talking about this fourth title, the last part of his name. Over these past three weeks, we talked about Wonderful Counselor. We talked about Mighty God. We've talked about Everlasting Father. But one reason this, this baby, this God-man, brings light is because of his last title. Look at the verse with me one more time. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And this word prince, it doesn't necessarily mean what you think, like Prince Charming or like a person who's the the son of a king. The the word that's translated prince, it, it really means something more like an administrator, a person who's in charge of distributing peace. He gives out peace. He makes sure that it gets where it needs to go. Think about that for a minute. Jesus is peace, and he wants to make sure that peace gets to where it's needed the most, to people who walk in darkness. 
So he's not so meek and mild the way we maybe think when we see the words Prince of Peace. I mean, he is, after all, still mighty. He's the, the guardian of peace, making sure that it gets where it needs to go. Anytime you see a name in the Bible, it tells you something about that person's character. Names are significant all over the Bible. They reveal something about the true nature of that person. And that's why this verse is so important. It reveals something about the true nature of Jesus. It's it's right there in plain sight. He's God himself, but he's also the Prince of Peace, the one who's characterized by peace. Peace is just a, a foundational part of who he is. That's why he can distribute it so well, so freely. And when we think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, we're really talking about two different things. Jesus brings, or he, he can deliver global peace. We'll talk about that. But he also can bring personal peace, peace to people who are walking in darkness. So first, let's talk about global peace. Look at the very next verse in Isaiah, verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now remember, the the people who first heard this message, they were living in uncertain times, politically speaking. All the things they, they thought they knew about the world, of who was in power, who was in charge, all those things were changing rapidly, right before their eyes. And they were at risk. They were used to being in power, and now that was being threatened. So Isaiah tells them this child will become a ruler over all the other rulers that are threatening them. Jesus will rule. And, and he'll rule in an amazing way. He'll bring peace without end. And global peace, it really comes in two ways. It, it comes with, with two ideas that work hand in hand. And notice the passage tells us that Jesus' rule is going to be marked by justice and righteousness. These two ideas are how Jesus brings global peace. Because when we say that Jesus brings global peace, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to bring an end to all wars. I mean, you don't need me to tell you there's, there's conflict all over the globe, right? But Jesus' rule is there. It's in plain sight. If you look for it in these two ways, justice and righteousness. And this Hebrew word for justice is, is mishpat. It occurs in various forms over 400 times in the Bible. It's an idea that's all over the Bible. But it means more than just uh, punishment of wrongdoing. I mean, we tend to think of justice as doling out punishment, right? But it's more than that. It also means giving people some rights. Uh, mishpat is giving people what they're due, whether it's punishment or protection. And when we think about Jesus bringing peace into the world, we want to imagine that that God would bring uh, punishment for wrongdoers. I mean, we can all point to somebody who needs to be put in their place, right? I mean, not us, some other person. We all know somebody that needs that kind of justice. And, 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 And one day, God will judge the whole world in that way through Jesus. But for now, For now, the way that Jesus brings peace is largely through mishpat. He brings protection where it's needed. He's the prince of peace. Over and over again, mishpat describes taking up the cause of of widows, of orphans, of the marginalized, the poor. People have been called the, the quartet of the vulnerable. The widows, orphans, the marginalized, and the poor. People who cannot take up for themselves are given justice by Jesus. He makes sure that peace gets to where it's needed the most. And the way he does that is through people, people like you and me, followers of Jesus who are God's chosen agents of justice, that mishpat that brings peace. So all of us who are followers of Jesus, when we see injustice, 
we have the responsibility to respond. Jesus brings mishpat through you and through me. And the idea of justice, it's related to this other Hebrew word, this word that's translated righteousness. It refers to a life of right relationships. It's talking about day-to-day living. It describes a person uh, living with their family, living with society, conducting themselves with, with fairness, with generosity, with equity. So these two ideas go together, uh, fairness and generosity in our relationships, along with the idea of caring for the most vulnerable. So together, this is how Jesus brings peace to the world, global peace. It's not always obvious. It's usually subversive. It's happening behind the scenes, happening in relationships, happening through people. But it's there in plain sight. In Jesus' kingdom, there's, there's ultimately justice and righteous for everyone. That's coming. But for now, we only see glimpses of it. In the here and now, the way that Jesus works is through mishpat, justice, bringing care and protection to the most vulnerable. And the primary way he does that is through you and me. We are agents of God's mishpat. So when I say that Jesus is in plain sight, one of the ways he's most clearly seen is when his followers demonstrate his justice and righteousness. When we act as agents of his, then he is revealed as the ruler that can bring global peace. Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I know he'd read this passage in Isaiah, understood that it was about him, but he also said something else really amazing. Jesus told his followers, you are the light of the world. Take a look at this. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. One of the ways that Jesus is most clearly seen in the world is through you and me, those of us who are followers of Jesus, the spirit in us guides us to good works that reflect the true light of the world, Jesus in plain sight. He can be seen in you and in me. One of the songs we sing every Christmas teaches the same idea. I'm a terrible singer. I'm not going to sing it for you, but look at the words from O Holy Night. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. There's those relationships. In his name, all oppression shall cease. So Jesus is the prince of peace. He brings global peace, peace for those who need it the most, the most vulnerable among us. So Jesus brings global peace, but as the prince of peace, he also brings personal peace, peace to individuals. And when we talk about personal peace, we don't just mean fixing a problem we have in the here and now. I mean, how many times have you prayed that kind of prayer of desperation? Oh God, if you get me out of this jam, I promise I'll do that, or I'll stop doing that, or whatever. I mean, who knows? Maybe that's the reason you're here. You made a deal with God and you're sticking to it. I don't know. But that's not the personal peace that Jesus has to offer. His peace goes so much deeper than that. The peace that Jesus gives is is lasting peace. It's permanent peace. Not peace that's dependent on our situation or dependent on our obedience to him. Peace that's just a gift of grace. That means we didn't do anything to earn it. Jesus is peace and he, he freely gives himself to us. And the peace that Jesus gives, it it frees us from self-rule. His peace means we don't have to keep working so hard to hold everything together on our own. We don't have to wear ourselves out trying to find peace for ourselves. The peace that Jesus offers, it doesn't depend on us, on our wisdom, our strength, our ability. It's, It's a gift from him. 
And the personal peace that Jesus offers, it's not quick fix kind of peace. Not peace that comes from just uh, tuning out and escaping at the end of the day only to wake up the next day and find out you still got all the same problems and all the same stresses. That's not peace. That's letting your life be ruled by your circumstances or by your emotions. Uh, You feel good one day, then everything changes and the world comes crashing down. There's no peace in that kind of life. The peace that Jesus offers, it's real, lasting peace. Not peace that comes and goes, not peace that's here today and as soon as things get hard, it's gone. You know, this time of year, there's so many expectations, so many pressures, it's harder and harder to find peace. In fact, this year, there's a rise in just the opposite, in depression and anxiety. Our temptation is to to run away, to hide from all the noisy busyness, the social obligations, or maybe we want to, excuse me, we want to lash out at uh, people who say, hey, just cheer up, everything's going to be fine, you know. Or maybe we want to drown our sorrows in, (coughs) sorry, (coughs) maybe we just want to drown your sorrows with uh, binge eating, binge drinking, binge watching, but none of those things, uh, running out or lashing out or pigging out, none of those things are going to make you have peace. They're not going to improve depression and anxiety. In fact, just the opposite is true. They're going to increase those things. But Jesus brings peace that can bring real change to your life. Remember what Jesus himself said. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus wants to bring order out of your chaos, to bring light to your life. Jesus also says, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If you want real, lasting, personal peace, peace that brings order out of the chaos of your life, Jesus tells you how to get it. He freely gives it away. He wants us to have it. So how do we take advantage of it? Look again. Whoever follows me, whoever believes in me, Jesus tells us plainly how to get the peace that he gives away. You have to believe in him. Jesus wants you to follow him. Truth is in plain sight. The truth is in such plain sight, actually, that while I was preparing this message, the truth hit me in a really unexpected way. I was out shopping, Christmas shopping, and a Christmas song came on the radio at the store. You know, it's a song we all know, but, but buried in the lyrics is the truth about Jesus, exactly what we've been talking about today. The song I heard is, Here Comes Santa Claus. You know the song, Right? Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. But if you keep listening, there's something in that song, something in plain sight. Listen to what the song says. Peace on earth will come to all if we just follow the light. Jesus wants to be found by you. He wants you to follow him, to believe in him. His promises are true. His power to bring peace into your life is real. So real that God can speak about them as if they've already happened, as if you've already been given that peace that Jesus alone can give, real, forever peace. To get that peace, you only have to do one thing. It's, It's so simple, in fact, it trips people up. We all want to make it more complicated. We all want to add steps to it. But all there is to do is to believe to believe that Jesus really is all that he says he is. And he really can give peace, personal peace. So in just a moment, I'm going to give each of us a chance to do that, just to to put our faith in Jesus. 
And the way to do that is, is simple. Just pray. Just tell God that you believe, that you want to follow Jesus. You, you may not even understand all that that means. That's okay. Just start. Just admit to God that you need his peace, the peace that comes through Jesus. I'm going to give each and every one of us a chance to do that right now. Will you bow your head with me? You could just pray along with what I say or put it in your own words. God, I want to pray for the person who's listening, who needs you in their life, the person who's been chasing after peace in all the wrong ways, uh, just trying, failing to find real lasting peace. I want to pray for that person that they would surrender themselves to you right now, God. They would stop resisting you. You want to be found by us, Jesus. And I pray for that person who needs your peace, that they would find it in you. You demonstrated great love for us in dying on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins, to give us peace with God, a a reconciled relationship. Make that a reality for each and every one of us here, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.